Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Ryan, how's it going? You still out in Peoria? Oh, yeah. I'm standing here watching uh, pitching prospect Brian Wu throw a uh, bullpen session. I think Emerson Hancock or George Kirby throws after that. So, big days. And then I get to drive to Scenic Tempe to probably the worst stadium in the uh, in the Cactus League to watch the Mariners play. Well, what's left <laughs> of the Mariners play? What's left of the Angels? <laughs> what makes it the worst stadium in the league? It's just old and kind of old and falling apart. And it's you know, like, it's hard to get in and out of there. It's just not a good experience. I don't know. I think there's just better places to go than that place. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I'm probably just being a curmudgeon, but I, I think most of the people would agree that it's one of the worst to deal with. Hey, Ryan, what's been your um, your favorite game or moment so far from the uh, World Baseball Classic? Um, That's hard to say. I mean, like, I like seeing Harry Ford hit that homer. That was pretty cool. Man, he just looks like a tank running the bases, too. Like, you, you forget how big he is and, like, how muscular he is. You know, he's not very tall, but he just, you know, he's like a fullback out there going around the bases. Um, that was pretty cool. You know, um, I think the the electrician from Czechoslovakia, who never threw a pitch harder than 73 miles per hour, striking out Shohei Otani. Dude, that guy has to have so that great. baseball, get an autograph by Otani, like, he better have that on his wall because that was awesome. Uh, all right. Well, we've got a little bit of injury news, though. Ryan, tell us whether or not anyone should be concerned. You tweeted an hour ago that J.P. Crawford has a, quote, soggy right shoulder. He's going to DH uh, uh, tomorrow. So um, what's the latest with J.P.? And are there any injuries anyone should be too concerned about right now? No, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, like J.P. was... I talked to him about it. He's like, oh, I'm sore. He goes, we threw a lot the last couple of days, and I guess got a sore shoulder. I think he kind of just said, you know, in regular season, I would have probably been able to play still. But, you know, it's it's we're kind of at that midway point of spring training where they've been here a while. They do a lot of throwing and do a lot of work, and so a lot of guys are just kind of sore and tired, you know, and so they're you kind of get a second win. They're, the way they space out the off days, though, it's not coming for a while. So, like today, they didn't, they didn't really do it on-field batting practice. You know, they do individual work, stuff like that. Uh, so they're kind of down on the back. They do that every so often. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing. It's funny the way, you know, Scott services, people made fun of him for using the word soggy the first time when describing like kind of a sore arm or a heavy arm. And so he, he looked right at me when he said it, you know, and Shannon, because we know that like we made fun of him about it and it's become a big deal on Twitter, which he has. And so he said it, but I even thought to him, I said, like, you know, the first time he ever used the word soggy to describe an arm, it was with Drew Smiley coming out of the WBC, and he never pitched again. Oh, God. oh man! So I, I was I was surprised that he used that, but no, JP said it was no big deal, and you know it's just kind of something players go through at this time. But no, other than that, you know, Dylan Moore's coming back. He's supposed to play Thursday. He said, "Oh, that's good." Um, and uh, I can't think of anybody else that's really dealing with anything. How's Colton Wong look to you? We we talk about a lot of people. I don't think we've addressed Colton Wong um, too much this spring. What are you seeing? 
you know, it's, it's weird too. I was like, I, I felt like I've been such a pitching geek and everything I write about, I'm writing, well, you know, every damn pitcher down here has got a new pitch that they're right. working on. So I'm writing about pitching all the time and, you know, and, and because there is no position battles and stuff like that, you kind of find the, you don't find a ton of stuff to write about, but he's just been solid. Like I watch him d- d- take infield and stuff and, Perry Hills right over there and you know he's generating a lot of stoppage which means he's making good plays but it's it's interesting to see how athletic he is and how he moves you know I like it because I'm taller than him which is big for me he's part <laughs> of what I used to he's part of what I refer to as the David Eckstein all-stars players that I'm taller than he is he's a little bit taller than Altuve but he's got some pop I mean I think he's gonna help him. he's got a good personality you know got that whole Hawaiian chill thing going to him I think that's good uh to have and yeah he's just been solid See, Ryan, I'm working on a developing a list of players that I am taller than, and I'm realizing I need to cover, like, jockeys or horse racing. Like, I'm really not running into uh, being as fortunate as, as you are there. i got to work on it. Um, you mentioned being kind of geeking out over some pitchers right now. Who's got just, like, the filthiest stuff that you're seeing from camp? Well, I mean, like, Andres Munoz is getting ready to throw a live BP here. And he added a two-seam fastball that kind of goes in and runs in on hitters' back legs. And it's got more movement than a four-seam, but it's still 102 miles an hour. So that, that's pretty filthy. Like mm-hmm. as Dylan Moore said to me the other day, he was talking about coming back. Because yeah, I took some extra bats off the minor league guys, and now today I get a hit off Andres Munoz. So that seems fair. Um, but you know, they—he's got just—it's just freakish. Um, we stood in there, you know, the other day, watched Bryce Miller throw, and that's that's pretty crazy. Um, you know, obviously, Brass has still got the crazy stuff too. So it's just like it's so different. Like when when Jerry Depoto and those guys first took over, I think it was seventeen. Like they had one guy in the bullpen that threw ninety five miles an hour. They just didn't have guys in the organization that had power arms, at least any that were ready. Now all these guys are just out there pumping ninety eight, ninety nine. No, they got nasty sliders and it's. it's it's pretty crazy how many arms they have. Like somebody like Taylor Williams, who they traded to get Matt Brash, he's back with the organization. You know, the other day he was at 97 consistently. And, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's just they have more depth in their pitching than they've had since I've been covering the team on both sides, starting and relieving. Ryan, is um, what's about 16 games left? I think I counted somewhere around there. Um, is there a moment with these veterans where – they're just over it. They're like, all right, you, you talk about these guys getting their second win, the soggy arms, Teoscar's had a back issue. They're, does there come to a point where they're just ready to go and they're done? Or do these guys find a way to stay mentally engaged the same way at the end of this thing as they were at the beginning? No, you're right, Bump. It's like, you know, it's like um, like the midway point of fall camp, you know, where your body's banged up and you're just like, let's just play real games. You know, you're just tired of running beating on each other. That's where these guys are at, you know, because they're, they're, they're doing something every day, you know, and they're, they're working every day. And so especially for the position players, because, like, position players don't need quite as long to get ready as the pitchers do. But, yeah, they're at that point, I think. And it, it's probably about another week where they're like, okay, we're ready to be done. And then once they have that last off day, and it can't come soon enough, I don't know when it is, but he's the 21st maybe. Uh, once they have that last off day and then the last week going into the season, they kind of like get into that mode, like it's dress rehearsal mode. You know, it's like the last, you know, they get excited about the season and, and what's going to happen. And I think that's, um, you know, that's when they'll pick it up again. But yeah, I, I think they're kind of like, okay, you know, we play a lot of games and let, let's just kind of get going here. 
Hey, have you noticed um, like more excitement or anticipation or competitiveness from players in their first spring training since making the playoffs? Or is that just something that like we talk about as a narrative, but that isn't really there? I mean, how's it feel to you as a reporter who's covered many iterations of this team? I mean, I think it's like, I think there um, there's an excitement among the players just because they know what to experience and kind of that like addictive feeling of God, you know, we got to get back there. That was so much fun. And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, there's, there's a motivation, but like a confidence too. They've done it. And like, as I think service jokes and a couple other guys, like Tom Murphy, is like, we haven't asked about the drought once. We haven't asked about the streak once, you know, they're just, they're excited to just, you know, talk about baseball and how they're going to get back there, not when they're going to end this drought. I think that's big for them. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there is a motivation factor for those guys that, you know, that were there and got experience. And you look at somebody like Tom Murphy, who was there on the periphery of it and was there when they celebrated, but didn't get a play, you know, that drives them, you know, even somebody like Kelnick who only got to play part of the season, you know, he wants to be a part of it for a full 162. So uh, I think there is that kind of uh, excitement around it. I mean, the, the fans though, I mean, there's more fans now at these games and at these workouts yeah. than in quite a while. Ryan, the, um, the pitching staff obviously is the, the strength of this team. And there's a guy in the starting rotation that didn't have the greatest outing his first time around. Second time, he looked a little bit better. How's Marco Gonzalez doing with with, with fighting off these young arms? Because you keep hearing about guys like Bryce Miller putting pressure um, on the club. What have you seen out of him so far? Yeah, he's been fine. I mean, he's been Marco. I thought his last outing, he was pretty good. I mean, you know, but he's never going to wow everybody with his outings. It's never going to be like, you know, striking out a bunch of guys and overpowering a bunch of guys. It's going to be, you know, go out there, get some ground balls. I think if you look at his last outing, he pitched three and two thirds and, and didn't, you know, didn't really give up much hard contact. The run allowed, I think, or the two runs allowed was charged the guy after him, but he, you know, in a normal situation, he would have finished that game, you know, like in a start, he was cruising. I think almost all of his uh, outs were either ground balls or strikeouts. I mean, that's what you want from Mark. Keep the ball down, you know, execute pitches i think just last year like as he talked about um he just kind of lost his command a little bit of all his pitches and he just wasn't as precise and if you have marco stuff which isn't overpowering you know you're going to get hit but he feels like you know dropping the 20 pounds off his frame and doing some different things to come back a little bit stronger a little bit lighter a little more flexible will help him have that command you know just you know it's like the repeatability or mechanics if you're in bad shape or you're not the same body type that you've always been, it's hard to repeat the mechanics when you don't, you know, you don't have that strength. And that's what he's talked about. He, he said, you know, he said that dad bod was real and he was fighting dad bod for having a kid. And so he's never making that mistake again. I'm glad he was able to bounce back after having, having a kid and just <laughs> able yeah, to get yeah. right. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, tell we, me we about it. To his wife. We haven't talked to his wife how she bounced back and having a kid. <laughs> right. The dad bod aspect of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, so, you know, it's interesting, uh, Ryan. We're talking with Ryan Divish right now the Seattle Times. Just a couple more minutes here. Um, we should, I feel like, be talking about Julio. I know he's at the WBC, but uh, he is just the best, most talented player on this team, and there's so many storylines with him to cover, and yet... Ryan, something tells me a lot of the questions you've been getting have been about Jared Kelnick, who hasn't shown much much at the major league level, but could really impact the team if he can. Are you buying into some of what you're seeing from him, or is it way too early to tell? I mean, like, yeah, I'm buying in on some of this. You know, people say, oh, it's spring training stats or whatever. I mean, the stats are the stats. You know, some people will, what they usually do is they pick a narrative that they want and use the stats to fit it. 
I mean, I look at it this way. If, if the results that Jared's putting up, the homers, the doubles, everything else, if it matters to Jared in the sense it gives him confidence in the approach he's having and the changes he's made, well, then that's important. Obviously, you know, he's going to be at the big league level. The pitcher's going to be, you know, he's hit off a big league pitcher's guy. Mm-hmm. That's what people have to remember. And they're, you know, again, it's not major league competition in terms of, like, you're, you're competing to win that night. You know, some of these guys are just getting in work. But, you know, it's still hard to hit. And he's putting up numbers and he's hitting the ball hard. I think that's the biggest thing for me is, is that he's consistently hitting the ball hard when, you know, and he's putting it in play more often than he has in the past. And I think you look at how he's at the plate, it's, it's more athletic, it's more simple. It doesn't look like he's trying to swing for power. He's just trying to hit the ball hard. And, and what's happened is, is he's plenty strong enough. He's hitting the ball over the fence or hitting doubles. You know, like he doesn't need to try and hit for power because he already has it. If he just hits the ball, good things will happen. And I think that mindset is what's most important. But if the results uh, that he's getting help him maintain that mindset, then that's important. And I think for him, I mean, like the potential is there. It's it's ridiculous how how much potential he has. You know, he saw the triple the other day where he's sprinting around the base. He plays so hard. He has that intensity. And you need somebody like that sometimes. Somebody, you have to have the guy with the edge. So, and I think if you realize, if you look at the number, or you look at the Mariners lineup and kind of the, you know, the questions surrounding the DH spot and the left field spot, if Jared Kelnick is even, you know, 75% of what we've seen this spring, that's huge for Seattle because you, you just were getting nothing from that spot last year. And so if you can get Jared to be, you know, somewhere similar to what we're seeing this spring and you get something from AJ Pollock, that changes the lineup and, and how viable it is and how productive it can be. Whereas we thought maybe, you know, it's still a bat short. If Jared is something real, then maybe it's like, okay, this is going to be pretty good for now. And then you readdress the situation. Maybe you added a DH or something later down the road. Ryan, I am an undrafted free agent practice squad guy who had a cup of coffee in the league. So I love me some underdog stories, man. Is there a guy who you maybe didn't recognize or didn't really know his name who uh, who caught your eye so far this spring? Yeah, I mean, I really like Cooper Hummel. Um, he's, you know, he's switching catcher and, you know, can't really catch. He's a switching catcher that doesn't catch very well. You know, he's not a, a great guy. They move him around, but, man, that guy hits. You know, switch hitter, he's got power. I mean, like, you look at that guy and he just does what it takes to find a way to help the team. You know, it's never always going to be pretty, especially on the defensive aspect. But I, I think that's a guy, you know, he could make the team. If Tommy Lestella isn't right, and he still isn't throwing it, I mean, Cooper Hummel could be on this team, and he could help them. Because I just think, you know, the switch hit potential and some of the pop in his bat is pretty real. And I think he's just never had an opportunity to do it. And this could help him. He could really help him. Love it. I found Bump's new favorite player, I think. Yep. Maybe not favorite, favorite, but <clears throat> I think I know who you're going to be rooting for here. He is Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times, kind enough to join us from Peoria, where he has been on top of all of this. I'm sure you're very excited to get a break and start the season, too, Ryan. And uh, we are excited to have you on once that gets underway. So in the meantime, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, anytime. Have fun. All right. He is Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. Make sure you're reading his work at seattletimes.com. This hour of Bump and Stacey is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Let's get to four down territory. 
This is Four Down Territory. Going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Well, it sure seems like Baker Mayfield could have a new home. In fact, maybe the new home is an old home. He's going back to the NFC South this time with the Bucks. Could he still be a winning quarterback in the NFL? Because Bump, it sounds like they want him as a starter. It sounds like they want him to uh, to push the young guy and see what yeah. happens over there. He's got some experience, but who is Baker Mayfield? I, I'm I'm looking at this guy and I go, let's understand who he is. He's a quarterback who has never thrown over 4,000 yards in a season. He's a quarterback with one season with a win, with a record over 500. But he's also a quarterback that's good enough to have big moments, right? We saw him practice for two days and then go to the Rams yeah. and lead them over the, the Raiders, I believe it was, on Thursday Night Football. We saw him complete 71% of his passes against the Chargers in 2021. We saw him lead the Browns to their first playoff win in 26 years. So you look at his stats and you look at his, his individual accomplishments, you say he might be able to do something. And then I'm looking for a comparison. I'm like, who is this dude? And the first name that popped in my, into my head and I had to check the stats was Jay Cutler. Oh, yeah. Jay Cutler, good enough to beat you, good enough to have some moments, but not really sustained success. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking at their numbers. Jay Cutler was four or five games over 500 as a starter. Your boy Baker's like six or seven games over 500 as a starter. Jay Cutler completes about 62% of his passes. Baker Mayfield, 61% of his passes. You look at their stats. They're both one and one in the playoffs. The more I look at them now, the attributes are different, right? Jay Cutler mm-hmm. has a rocket on his arm. I think Baker can throw the a ball, cigarette obviously. hanging out of his mouth. Cigarette <laughs> out of his mouth. <laughs> um, Baker Mayfield, mobile. He's got a beer in his hand, not a cigarette out of his mouth. You know what I'm <laughs> exactly. saying? Exactly. He's dancing. But you look at these two dudes, you're like, <laughs> they're good enough to win you some ball games. Can he go over there and resurrect his career? I think he's still a starter in this league, but you got to keep it in perspective. He's not yeah. a guy who's going to lead you to the promised land, but I like the move to, uh, to Tampa if it happens. Second down. Legal tampering is officially official, but the collusion never stops. Why is it so easy for the owners to get away with it, and can it be stopped? It's easy. I learned something this weekend. I didn't realize these owners meet four times a year unofficially. And what they do is... What, like on a, Jerry's yacht? I like, don't know where. We? It could be on a yacht. <laughs> could be in a casino. Yeah. Somebody's penthouse. Who knows? They meet four times a year. And these owners are billionaires for a reason. They know how to work the system. So what do they do? They meet and they do not leave a paper trail. And what they say is, guys, we are no longer signing quarterbacks to fully guaranteed contracts. That's enough. They're looking at the Browns and saying, you guys messed up. Looking at the Haslam's. Right. You went against the grain. <laughs> now you got Lamar out here trying to get his money. Shame on That's you. That's not going to happen. And what they also do, they do things like, okay, no one signed Colin Kaepernick. We're, we don't need him in our league. They are competitors, but they're partners at the same time. So when, they, when they're on a yacht, when they're at the penthouse, when they're in Vegas, wherever they meet, and they are talking about how to approach the season, it's, a, it's collaborative. So that's where the collusion happens. We're just seeing the, uh, the results of these meetings, right? Yeah. They, all this stuff has happened during the offseason and maybe a year ago. So that's how they do it, man. It's, uh, it's, it's very strategic how they get it done, and they've been doing it for years, and it's never going to stop. Mm. Third down. Mahomes thinks free agency is going to be crazy, and there have already been a ton of moves. What does crazy look like for the Seahawks? This is what happened, man. The news just, they just jacked up my third down. I was going to talk about Hargrave. I'm like, you know what would be crazy? You know, Deron Payne reset the market for D-tackles. What if they go after Hargrave? That would be nuts, right? Nah, I can't do that no more. And then we talked about our boy uh, Onye, Onye Mate. Yeah. Nah, not going to happen no more. So now we've gone down to Davin Thomason, and then also there's this dude from, um, from Denver. 
Uh, I forgot his name. A texter texted him. Um, good comparison there. So that would have been crazy. What also would be crazy, if, what if, and I, I don't suggest they do this. I don't want them to do this. But what if they made a move at the safety spot and said, look, man, Jamal, we haven't seen a lot from you. We can save some money. If we cut you, we are going to rely on Ryan Neal and maybe even bring back Jonathan Abrams and, and draft the safety. That would be crazy, right? And then what if you don't re-sign Drew Locke? You let him go. So now you're looking at this draft and saying, you have to draft somebody. Mm-hmm. That would be crazy <laughs> to me. I'm going to have to switch this third down uh, the second time but, we do this. Yeah. Because the news just jacked this whole thing you up know for what, me. Though? But that would be crazy. <clears throat> Again, in an hour at 1230, <clears throat> a little over an hour. If you listen to one segment today, actually, it should be all the segments. But if you're like, hey, I just I'm checking in for this legal tampering window. I just want to know what's happening. We're going to tell you basically a wrap up of every move at 1230. Bump's going to react to them. So just as a heads up, a lot is subject to change, not just Bump's four downs. Uh, But we're going to, I'm sure, hear about even one or two more moves in the next hour to come. Fourth down. Well, one of those moves made by the Niners who signed Javon Hargrave. So how did the Seahawks keep up with San Francisco? It's hard to keep up with them when they have the defense that they have mm-hmm. and they have the weapons on offense that they have. I like I look at the Seahawks offense and I look at the 49ers offense and I go, it's different, but both are effective. I look at the defense and I go, there's even a higher sense of urgency now. You need to go get a veteran. We need a veteran on this team like tomorrow. We need a veteran on this team at the D-line spot yesterday. yesterday. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) We need to find a linebacker as well to help out this second level and figure out what you want to do with Bobby as well. I think if you can figure out if Bobby's coming or going, that will give you some clarity in this whole situation. So what do you do to keep up? You just got to keep making moves, but make moves that make sense to you. A lot of people want to overreact and just go grab the biggest name out there. And the Hawks have done a great job of getting guys that fit their system and what they want to do. So moves need to be made, mm-hmm. but they have to make sense. I'm just looking at the Niners and shaking my head. Goodness gracious. Rich get richer. I mean, Man. they still got to figure out the quarterback situation. So it's like a big sacrifice of everything about you is elite, except you don't know who your quarterback's going to be. Someone texted us, Homer in Alaska. He said, random thought, if you three become billionaires, would a show about you be good? We would be reckless, reckless. billionaires. Reckless. I feel you two, like Curtis would be the most responsible, though. Yeah, I feel like you and you and die. I would we be tear the some stuff. Stacy would be the most reckless. <laughs> I would be the most reckless. Bump would have the most fun. I would be the most like. Uh, just being like, I've always wanted a yacht. <laughs> you know, Bump would just Bump would golf. be at every yeah. Bump would, Bump golf. would golf. Bump would live every yeah. listener's dream life right now. Mine would just be um, buying things I don't need just to check, just to try it out. <laughs> Can I return this? <laughs> Just for fun. Just for fun. You would buy those red boots that everyone has. For. You Absolutely see those not. Yes, I would right. not. I would not. I would not. I would never <laughs> buy those. They're so ugly and I hate them. Remember when um there was a minute, Tay, you would know. Uh, was it called um, Golden uh, Goose? Some kind of goose company. It was a shoe company that sold at Nordstrom. Their shoes were like $700. And they were, I think it was called Golden Goose. They were $700 shoes that were intentionally made to look dirty. So it was like at a time when remember when Justin Bieber for a minute was wearing like beanies and and looking kind of mm-hmm. like he was like mm-hmm. hanging out uh, it just unkempt unkempt. That was like a style to where this company was selling these shoes for almost a thousand dollars that were like purposely beat up like it was like print like it was like they made it look like dirt crazy. 
I would rather have those than those boots is what I'm saying. It's rich people stuff. <laughs> rich people problems. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up next, we've got a scandal out of Syracuse. And I know that we are on the other side of the country. And you guys are thinking, why do I care about Syracuse? But I'm telling you, this is a pretty juicy story about the orange. You see? Because it's a, it's a fruit. And I said it's juicy. Yeah. Metaphors. Metaphors. This is the timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1 800 DUIOA. You are listening to The Timeline on Bump and Stacy, reading you the top stories you're going to see trending on your own timelines. And we are going to start in Syracuse, New York, where an ESPN radio host was fired from his show. And I'll tell you why. I mentioned that this was um, like a, a juicy story, like a kind of like a weird story. Um, first, I want to clarify partner relationships. Now, Curtis, tell me if I'm wrong. ESPN Syracuse is not the the college owned company. It's like ESPN. It's in Syracuse. Right. Yeah, it's the Syracuse ESPN radio. It's affiliate. the flagship, but it's, it's like an affiliate. How, yeah, it's like how we are the ESPN radio. Exactly. In Seattle. So we are not owned by the Seahawks or Mariners. We just have uh, partnerships as the flagship station, right? So where we air the games. So to me, this is wild <laughs> because yeah. it would be the equivalent of um, you know Pete Carroll or Scott Service calling. And then demanding that one of us be fired. Here's what happened. Uh, an ESPN radio host named Brent Axe was, pun intended, axed uh, from his show for being, quote, overly negative about Syracuse basketball. So the um, basically the president of the company uh, said, you know, like, hey, I had a problem with the content of the show. This is a direct quote. I'm a Syracuse fan. Sorry, but I bleed orange. I'm not going to apologize for that. I think a fair reading of the orange is appropriate. I understand we have a business relationship that Coach Beheim and I are personal friends, and he's an investor in my company. I understand and acknowledge all of that. We've called it pretty fair, which, pause. I can already tell you haven't called it pretty fair when you're saying that Beheim is a personal friend and has a business relationship. It's not a partnership where it's a flagship where you're airing games. He's an investor in the company. So... To add a little bit of a, he said, like, I don't think that's what Syracuse fans want to hear. Also, uh, also pause, because there are plenty of Syracuse fans that have complained pretty openly about this program because they're really disappointed with how it's been for the last several years. You know what happened? Him and um, him and Jim <laughs> they, got they, a little too close. They went down to the clubhouse and yep. had a few cocktails after 18. Didn't shoot a 77 like I did, but Absolutely they sat down. Absolutely not. But they sat down after their 92 or whatever they shot. <laughs> And, um, you know, uh, Jim's like, hey, man, you hear what's going on at that station over there? Yeah. And you know I'm an investor. You know we're boys, right? Like, yeah. What's going on? I need you to do something because this is tarnishing my reputation. Even though I'm on the way out. Yeah. And you deserve it. Reputa- and you deserved it. You deserved it. So this is just um, buddies looking out for each other. Buddies in high places. Yep. With money involved looking out for each That's other. That's exactly what it is. So uh, this guy, uh, Brent, was fired. And he had an afternoon drive show. So it was like four to six. Coincidentally, Jim Beheim uh, now going to be an um, even closer media partner and make all these appearances on the program next year and may even have his own show. But you know what this reads to me? That's exactly what it is <laughs> to me. It reads to me that Jim Beheim was like, yeah, I'll, I'll join and I'll have a show and I'll come on and make all these appearances, but I want this guy out. Why is that wrong? Because it's objectively wrong. Do you know how news works? Right? Like, 
we can be critical of the Mariners. We can be critical of the Seahawks. Pete Carroll isn't calling to have me fired so that he can get a show on the station, although I'm sure people would love that. Like, <laughs> this is, it kind of encroaches on this weird kind of point of fair coverage. I don't know what this guy was talking about. Maybe he was talking crazy, but you had, as a general, you every right to be critical of this program and of Bayheim. It's your job. What's the problem? It's your job to report the situation or to speak on the situation as you see it. As long as you aren't MFing somebody, as long as you're not challenging his character or whatnot, you're spitting facts. Like, look, Syracuse basketball has not been good as of late. And 47 years is probably too long for one coach to be at one spot. It's probably time to make a move. So, Like you said, I don't listen to that radio station. I don't know exactly what was said. But if you just look at it for on the surface, mm-hmm. all right, you got Jim who's retiring. His buddy um, has control over this radio station. Jim is invested in this radio station. Jim also wants to go on the radio as well. And four to six is a heck of a spot to go on the radio mm-hmm. as well. So it just doesn't look good. It's our job to report what we are hearing and seeing. And that's what he did. Well, it makes it look like you're a PR arm where if I'm – critical of Syracuse. I'm like, I don't want to tune in and listen to you. You're not going to say anything. Like, yeah. you're not going to be honest. It's just mm-hmm. going to be a PR branch of Syracuse. I think those quotes from the president are wild. <laughs> just <laughs> wild. Not even like, yeah, we determined that ratings just weren't where we wanted them to no. be or that it wasn't a cultural fit. He was like, no, nah, Jim's my guy. Yeah. Uh, we're really good friends and I love Syracuse and I don't, this guy's annoying me. Like, <laughs> those are wild <laughs> quotes to put out there. Anyway, so that's what you need to know coming out of Syracuse. Other side of the country, I know it, it's not really a program that uh, that we watch closely here in Seattle, but uh, I feel like a weird encroachment into journalism, even when it's sports radio, always matters. And that's one to track there. Yep. Uh, all right, next up here, North Carolina, speaking of college hoops, got roasted for declining an invite to the NIT after becoming the first ever preseason number one team to miss the NCAA tourney in the 64-team era. They're embarrassed. That's what that is. They think they're better than the NIT, and they should be better than the NIT. They're one of the blue bloods of college basketball, man. You think of North Carolina. They're running from the Cougs, bum. Running from us. Catch these hands, <laughs> North Carolina. What y'all doing? So, yeah, it's um, they're embarrassed. You come in number one. You don't make the tournament. Mm-hmm. Duke is balling right now. Mm-hmm. Duke is entering the term- tournament doing their thing. They are embarrassed, and they should be forced to go to the NIT. What that's going to do is going to raise the profile of the NIT. Your responsibility as a coach is to teach these young men, y'all didn't get it done. I didn't get it done. We got to go play in this NIT tournament. That means absolutely nothing unless you're cool. We got NIT uh, tournament banners up in in Beasley. You know what I'm saying? No shame. We represent. No shame. They don't want to represent. Go Cougs. Okay. But what I'll say is this, (laughs) as a final note on this point. What kind of message does it send to your team? Do you agree or disagree? Because I disagree with it, but I've never been a coach. I think it sends a poor message um, to be like, we're not going to compete if we think the competition is below us. Go compete. Compete. Go compete. Yes. So you would just rather not play. Yeah. You would rather your kids not play than compete in a tournament that you think is beneath you. We're better than this, Is guys. it beneath you if you didn't qualify for the tourney? It's not. It's where you're supposed to be. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Let me say something. I, I clowned on a 92 I will shoot 92 tomorrow. I'll shoot 79 one day. I'll shoot 92 tomorrow. So all my golfers out there who are shooting 92, you hang in there. A couple more putts. You could be at a 77. Drives. You too you could too have a 77. a 77. Do we get the 77 jar out? Let's refine that. All right, last story here. 
Uh, the NBA announced that starting next season, they will use the same technology used in soccer and tennis to determine out-of-bounds and goaltending calls. So new technology going to be introduced to the NBA. Matter to you? Change your viewing? I'm no. all for technology. Get it right and get it right faster. We take way too long, especially in the NBA, to get these calls right. Oh, uh, I want a quick follow-up on a story that we had in the timeline a while ago, which was that Detroit Mercy's Antoine Davis fell. Was it, Curtis, a three-short, two-point three short? Three-point short. Three-point short. One basket. One basket short of uh, P. Maravich's NCAA all-time scoring record. We thought he might get a chance uh, to uh, enter into what tourney was it? Not it was NIT. The CBI. CBI. Uh, but of course, that will not happen. Last story here, very quickly, a follow-up on that. Detroit Mercy's Antoine Davis will not get another chance at passing that record. Uh, Detroit Mercy was not selected for any postseason tourneys, so he'll just fall three points short. Should have did the Giannis pad them stats, man. Know where you are. Only he got it taken back. Know where you are. Man, poor Giannis. Should have counted. Yeah, should have. I mean, it's pretty shameless, but I, I I'm care. cool with shameless. Get that. Yeah. Miss any part of the show? Make sure you subscribe to the Bump and Stacy podcast. The latest Seattle sports news available right on your phone every single weekday. That's wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Google Play, Apple. Please rate, review, subscribe. We would really, really, really appreciate it. It really, really helps. In fact, any podcast you're listening to, that really helps everyone. So please make sure you're doing that if you enjoy us or anyone else. Uh, all right. So there was a story we were going to get to that was kind of taking a bigger look at. Um, I don't want to say the importance of quarterbacks, but like what we're learning about the Panthers trade. I ended up postponing it because we had the Javon Hargrave news breaking. So we're going to get back to it. Everything we learned from this trade. That's next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. You are listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk about uh, whether or not we're disappointed or relieved that the Hawks aren't going to get a quarterback at five. Before then, I wanted to have a different conversation about quarterbacks. And that's a little more existential, guys. Taking a, an even bigger step back. The Panthers traded it all. They gave away four picks and DJ Moore to the Bears for the number one pick overall. They may not even know who they want yet. Take a listen to Jeremy Fowler. Well, uh, I'm sure in their heart of hearts, they probably know. Uh, but as far as what they're portraying or what people are saying behind the scenes, no. I think um, you know, with 47 days before the draft, I understand that they have up to three quarterbacks in mind. It's, it's of course, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and then uh, one wild card. That could be Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. You know, they, they really have no rush now. They just want to get in position to be able to do what they want. And they could back out into another spot. You know, like let's say fall in love with, I don't know, Le- Will Levis, right? then you know you can get him at three most likely. You could move back two spots. So there's just there's stuff you could do to, to maneuver, and uh, you know, I think they wanted that flexibility. Here's like the too long, didn't read version that I just want you to be able to walk away with. The Panthers don't even know who they want to take at number one overall. They just recognize that they need a quarterback badly, and they were willing to do just about anything to get that guy, whoever he might be. Bump, I think this prompts an even bigger conversation about like how impactful quarterbacks can be, even when you don't know that he's going to work out, that taking that chance is worth so much to franchises. You ever um, just got some money, came across no. some money, maybe you got a bonus, <laughs> you know, we got a little oh, bonus. Oh, you get like a tax return tax and you're return, like, I'm going to save and, and invest. Walk, and no, then no, you no, don't. no, 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 that's not where I'm going. Oh, okay. I'm going, you get your tax return money or whatever you got. You walk into the store like, I'm getting something. Oh, yeah. I'm getting something. I don't know what I'm going to get, yep. but I got money. I'm getting something. I'm that's, rich. That's where, that's where the Carolina Panthers are. They're like, look, man, we might not know, but we're going to be the first to get it. Now... This relieves me, honestly, Mm. because I think it makes the choice for the Seahawks, 
right? If, if things happen the way that we think is going to happen, these quarterbacks mm-hmm. going to get drafted. Mm-hmm. They don't have to make the tough decision of like they're like, man, Bryce is gone, CJ's gone, Richardson's gone. Well, Levis could be gone. Uh, if Levis he goes could be four. gone. Honestly, we really don't want to touch Levis anyway because yeah. we don't like what he brings to the table. It's like when um. Uh, we, I, you know what I hate during fantasy draft? I hate having the first pick. I hate having one through five, <laughs> one through six. I hate what? it. I'd rather be nine, ten. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, I'd rather no, be nine, wouldn't. ten because all the, the tough decisions are made. You guys oh. go ahead and do all that, and then I'm going to get two on the back end anyway within like five picks. Me personally. That's the worst part. I don't, I don't want it. I want, I, I want later. I want in the back. So who's going to take Mahomes first? Who's going to who's gonna break the seal and take a tight end first? You know, who's going to take George Kittle? I'm like, you know what? There's, there's, a, there's running backs out there for me. I'm good to go. I don't like the stress of the first few picks. You're absolutely insane. I don't think I've ever chosen in the top five in my fantasy league in five years. I think there's collusion happening. It's collusion. And I've also never won. And I, I, to me, those are positively correlated. It's That's the only reason I've never won before. Um, it's, it's a really fascinating uh, conversation because I think that there are some people that would look at it and say you gave up way too much. And then I think there are people that would look at the Panthers um, trying and failing to find their guy and recognize that eventually you've just got to throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. You know what I mean, you got Cam Newton first overall, and he was an MVP and took you to a Super Bowl. You just didn't actually win. Uh, you traded for Baker Mayfield. You traded for Sam Darnold. Like you've had all of these other approaches that just haven't worked out for you. It hasn't been because you haven't had talent, right? I mean, you haven't had like the best possible head coaching situations, but like you're now in a division that's pretty wide open. If you find your guy, those are ticket sales, right? This is how an owner looks at it. Right? Who's selling tickets? Who's selling jerseys? Who's getting butts in the seats? That's who I want this team to draft. And so I I think that it's a huge risk. Um, the potential for the reward in return is also really high because it is the most valuable position. I know that we here we were talking about taking a defensive lineman and how impactful that guy can be. No one impacts your team more than a quarterback, period. The most elite defensive lineman cannot take a team to a Super Bowl on his own. You know what you sound like? A hater? No, like you were on that yacht with the uh, GMs during yeah. the collusion meetings. <laughs> what, Hello, everyone. Uh, right, welcome to today's collusion do. meetings. Who's taking minutes? <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, it's it's all about the quarterback. Unless you are the San Francisco 49ers yep. who have just accumulated so much talent. Unless you are. And haven't won a Super Bowl, though. Haven't won a Super haven't Bowl. Haven't won a Super Bowl. Unless you are the Philadelphia Eagles who took a chance on a second round guy and accumulated some talent. Um, It's all about the quarterback. And the Panthers understand that. Did they give up a bit too much? I uh, maybe no. Actually, no. Actually, with the number one pick, you give up anything you can to get mm-hmm. that pick because mm-hmm. you're committed to it. But now, who is he going to throw the rock to? You know yeah. what I'm saying? I know you have a good run game over there. Who is he going to throw the rock to? But they're building the foundation to their program all over again. They've been to the Super Bowl with Cam Newton, and I think went with Jake Delhomme against the Rams, I believe, in the early 2000s or something like that. It's just been a while. They don't have that mm-hmm. winning tradition, and that's what they're trying to do. I'm not mad at them for going after the quarterback that they want, even if they, they're not sure yep. who they want yet. Uh, some interesting nuggets, two little pieces of information from uh, Peter King that I was reading yesterday. The first, uh, in the last 23 years, this has only happened twice where someone has traded for the number one overall pick to take a quarterback. The outcomes were Michael Vick and Jared Goff. Feels like a 50-50 split to me. I know Michael Vick never took them and won a Super Bowl, but still an exceptional player. Jared Goff obviously didn't work out. 
right? Like they kind of had to then you know make crazy? a trade to fix that. Golf is probably gonna, is going to have a better career than Mike Vick, though. Mike Vick is the more exciting. Uh, Mike Vick player. was more talented. Yeah, but golf is going to have the better career. Yeah, probably but if already Mike has Vick the didn't better career. Make the mistakes he made, yeah. or maybe it's a different story because yeah, he came sure. back and then was like trying to be a better quarterback mm-hmm. and like had, de- had developed a little more. And like um, the other thing is uh, Frank Reich has. I think the number was like has coached five games ever in the entirety of his career with a quarterback under like six two or six three. Mm. So people are looking at Bryce Young as the potential number one overall pick because of his ability to read defenses and everything he can do. Uh, but then saying, is Frank Reich going to want a, a smaller quarterback or is he going to be more intrigued by CJ Stroud? Meanwhile, Scott Fitterer, the GM out there, obviously was with Seattle with Russell Wilson, who is a smaller quarterback. So. It's very hard to tell what's going to happen. I still think Stroud is one that makes sense. It does. Stroud is the, the um, not the for sure thing, but I feel like he'll just be more reliable. I think Bryce is probably the better quarterback when it comes to diagnosing defense, making the right decisions. But I look at Stroud in that frame and the mobility that he showed in that bowl game, and I'm like, that's the guy right there. That's my guy, at least. All right, you guys, uh, we're going to continue this conversation before we get to headline rewrites. I mentioned at 1230, we're going to recap all the free agency stuff. So I know there's some stuff trickling in. I'm kind of saving all of it. If there's any major breaking ones, like if the Seahawks agree to terms with someone, we will break that. Otherwise, we'll get to all those deals at 1230. Before then, the Hawks probably won't have a chance to get a QB at five anymore. So are you disappointed or relieved? That's next.